In my uh, home church in Chatham, we have been uh, studying the book of Genesis, and uh, I bring to you a, uh, a sermon on of, uh, one sermon from that series, and it's uh, about the calling of Abraham. Um, so the text for the sermon will be uh, Genesis 12, the first several verses. But I, I want to start reading in Genesis 11, where we find the introduction, you could say, to this important event. So Genesis 11, we'll start reading in verse 10. And then uh, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9, is the text for the sermon. Genesis 11, verse 10. Hear the word of our God. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot Arphaxad two years after the flood. After he begot Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Arphaxad lived 35 years and begot Salah. After he begot Salah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Salah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Salah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. After he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begot Reu. After he begot Reu, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Reu lived 32 years and begot Serug. After he begot Serug, Reu lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. Serug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, Serug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abraham. Nahor and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abraham, Nahor and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And then now we get the text for the sermon. Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. 
And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people, with, uh, the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth of Moreh. And the Canaanites were there then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. So far we read from the word of God. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the figure of Abraham is extremely important in our Christian faith and in the history of God with his people. For one thing, the story of Abraham opens a new part of the book of Genesis. The first 11 chapters of Genesis involve the earth and the people in general. Creation, fall, flood, and then the division at the Tower of Babel. And they all affect the world in the same way. But then you get to chapter 12. And from that point on you see God's special saving activity narrowed to a single family leaving the rest of the world for what it is for the time being. At the same time, the Bible insists that all who believe in Jesus Christ are children of Abraham. And that ties us in very clearly with this narrative. Abraham is important to us, even if we do not come physically from the family tree described at the end of Genesis 11, even if we do not fit physically in the family tree from Shem to Peleg to Eber to Abraham, we still may consider ourselves Abraham's heirs as those who share in the covenants, in the promise and in the blessing that God gave to him. And this is why we should study the life of Abraham and learn from it. The story of Abraham takes up many chapters in the Bible, from chapter 12 to around chapter 25. Um, but the first nine verses of Genesis 12 already give us much to talk about and to apply to ourselves. So we will look at those first nine verses of chapter 12 under the theme, Called to Live for the Lord. Called to Live for the Lord. And as we go through these stories, we will see four key points. We will see Abram's departure. We will see blessing, worship, and also Abram's patience. So Abram left his home country and he traveled to the land that the Lord showed him. Originally, Abram came from Ur of the Chaldeans. And that was in Mesopotamia, the fertile region in modern-day Iraq. So if you picture the map of that area, 
I'm sure you have seen this several times, right? You have the, the land of Israel with its coast there on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. That's the promised land. That's the land of Canaan with the Jordan River. But then as you go north and east, there's a mountainous area with a river that flows down to the east toward the Persian Gulf. And that is Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. And that is where many people of that time lived. It was a land of culture, development, riches, and power. When you study ancient history, you learn about that old Babylonian culture with its clay tablets, its astronomy, its development of mathematics, and so on. This is the culture where Abraham grew up. Now, earlier in the book of Genesis, we learned a little bit about that area as well. The city of Ur, where Abraham was from, was actually mentioned already in Genesis 10. It was one of the cities built by the mighty warrior Nimrod. Um, Ur was also close to Babel, which is, of course, where people had tried to build that tower to reach into heaven and where God had put an end to that. So that is the old Babylonian culture where Abraham came from. So you could say Abraham moved away from a world that was both cultured and idolatrous. And we have no reason to assume that Abraham was any better than the people around him. Abraham was also a worshipper of idols, of false gods, just like the people around him. Um, the Bible says that actually explicitly in Joshua 24 verse 2. Joshua told the Israelites very plainly. He said, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates River, Terah, the father of Abraham and Naor, and they served other gods. And then, says the Lord, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan. And that is how we should see Abraham. The Lord took him out of the world of false gods and brought him elsewhere, isolated him from all the, uh, all the wickedness of that world, all the bad influence of that world. And God brought him elsewhere to live a very different kind of life, hundreds of kilometers away. Abraham had to leave behind a lot of things, not just idols. First one mentions, um, first one mentions Abraham's uh, country, and his family, his father's house. So leaving behind everything that is related, everything that's familiar, everything you're attached and committed to, not just temporarily, but for good. Because back then, you had no airplanes or cars that you could use for a quick visit or vacation. And you can think back maybe to, to stories from your parents and grandparents uh, who settled in Canada, never to expect to see their family back home. Because it was a long trip and they couldn't afford going back. Why did Abram leave it all behind? The answer is very simple but profound. And the children probably know this too. Why did Abraham leave all this behind and go somewhere else? What made him do it? 
the Lord told him so. It was that simple. If Abraham was to belong to the Lord, he had to leave Ur. He had to leave his past. He had to leave his network, his families, his friends. He had to get out of his comfort zone for good. Abraham had to forsake the world. Next week when you have young people make professional faith, this will be asked of them. Do you promise that you will forsake the world? That's what Abraham did. He forsook the world. God required it of him. And Abraham obeyed in faith. He did what he was told, painful as it was. And the Bible holds up Abram's example for us. And this is the first big lesson here for us. That the Lord calls us to forsake the world. To leave behind what binds us to this current evil age. As Paul calls this world. The current evil age. Leave that behind. And turn our back on the gods of our society. Do you even realize... How radical that is. And we may be quick to say, well, but we aren't supposed to isolate ourselves from the world, are we? We don't have to become monks, do we? And that is true. But let's be honest. Are we, are we really staying away from all the wrong priorities of the world? Are we really detaching ourselves from the gods of this world? Have we learned to say farewell to the reliance on power and status and influence and wealth that is so typical for the world around us? Have we really taken our hope and our expectations away from all these earthly things and refocused our lives on Jesus Christ? And his kingdom. It is interesting that Abraham's father Terah. Had already taken the first step. We uh, often say in summary. That Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans. And then, then, then went to Canaan. And that is true in the big picture. But in uh, Genesis 11 verse 31. We read that Abraham's father Terah. Already made the move from Ur to Haran, which is to the north of Canaan, at, at the uh, beginning of the Euphrates River, for instance. Um, Terah had already planned to go from Ur to Canaan, but it seemed that he some got somewhat stuck halfway. He traveled about a thousand kilometers along the river, and there he settled down in what is now northern Syria or southern Turkey. And there he stopped and he settled. And that area became known as Paddan Aram or Haran. And later we will find Jacob is going to live there with his uncle. Now we don't know exactly why Terah's family moved. Did Terah already get a message from the Lord to, to start going that way? One possibility is that Abraham at first convinced his whole family to go with him toward Canaan. But then they gave up halfway through and said, okay, this is far enough We'll settle here. I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us these details. But in any case, Abraham and his nephew Lot 
and of course Abram's wife Sarai. They're the only ones of Terah's clan who then traveled onward from Haran, um, leaving the familiar Euphrates River, and that traveled south into the land of Canaan, committed to follow the Lord's directions all the way, wherever it may lead them. Because no, the Lord did not say where they would end up. He just said, go wherever I tell you. And so they went, without a clear destination at the time. And the question for us is now, are we willing to follow the Lord like that too? All the way, not just halfway. All the way, even if it brings us far outside of our comfort zone. So, what did Abraham do it for? Did he have such great prospects in Canaan? No, not at all. Compared to the prosperity and advanced culture of Babylonia, the land of Canaan was a poor backwater. Abraham left behind a, a network in which he was undoubtedly a man of high status, because he, was, he seemed to have been a fairly rich fellow. And he ended up living like a stranger in a land that never became his own. And all Abraham had to go on was a word from the Lord, from Yahweh, this God whom he, it seems, barely knew. We don't know in what way God spoke to Abraham, whether it was a dream, a vision or a prophet coming to him. But our text emphasizes that Abraham simply listened. He went as, as the Lord had told him. And this is the first time that we learn about Abraham's faith. Simple but profound faith. Abraham's faith means this. He trusted the Lord so much that all he needed was his word. And God's word to Abraham was an instruction. Go from your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. But that instruction also came with a promise and a blessing. A promise of good things. And you see that in verses 2 and 3. Because the Lord's purpose was not to order Abraham around, the Lord wanted to build a relationship with Abraham. While the Lord is the most holy God, creator of heaven and earth, and Abraham was but a weak and sinful man, God invited him into a mutual relationship. Later on, God would describe that relationship with the word we are very familiar with, with the word covenant. And the Lord would summarize it in these wonderful words, I will be your God and you will be my people. And when you live in that kind of relationship with the Lord, with the Most High God, you can expect the greatest blessings, the most wonderful things in your life. Just read the covenant promise here in, the, in our chapter, verses 2 and 3. I will make you a great nation. 
I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham left Ur, and then he left Haran. He left his native land, and he left his family to live for the Lord. But in that new life, he could expect growth and prosperity, a wonderful and meaningful future, and protection against his enemies from God himself, because he entered in covenant with the Lord. And note the last line of this promise especially. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not only would Abraham himself be blessed, but all the families of the earth would be blessed in him or through him. Somehow, Abraham's life with the Lord would become a positive thing for the whole world, a source of blessing for many people. Abraham would have the privilege to be a channel for God's gracious goodness to many others. And as children of Abraham, we should keep that in mind. The Lord calls us away from a worldly life to live for him. And if we do so, he will be very good to us. That is the promise he gave to Abraham. That's the promise he gave to us. But his goodness to us never becomes our private property. His relationship with individual believers is never exclusive. Rather, he makes us into channels of blessing. Just as he did with Abraham. He makes us to be blessings to others. And that is an integral part of our life with him. Here in Genesis 12 we see that God had not given up on his world. Yes, he focuses on just one man with his family. Here in chapter 12. And for now, for that time, the covenant of special blessing is limited to Abraham and his family but it was never meant to stay that way and as the covenant with Abraham develops in the Bible it was always with the great purpose of blessing and restoring the cursed and sinful earth today of course we know how the Lord made Abraham a blessing to the world how did Abraham's family end up why did it end up being so important? Because more than 2,000 years after Abraham's calling, one of his descendants, one of his family, became the savior of the whole world. Jesus Christ is the one who brings the blessing of Abraham to the whole world. He opened the door wide, inviting people of all nations into that gracious covenant of the Lord. And it is because of this one descendant of Abraham, Jesus, the great son of Abraham, that we can embrace that same promise that Abraham received. Abraham listened to the Lord and obediently moved south from Haran through Syria, modern-day Syria, into the land of the Canaanites. Eventually, he arrived in the city of Shechem, in the center of the land of Canaan. 
When you stand on the mountains near Shechem, you can see a good part of the land. And here Abram put down his tents and he secured his flock near a large tree or in a large plain. Uh, there's a bit of discussion whether it's the plain of uh, Moreh or the terebinth tree of Moreh. But there was Abram near Shechem with his, with his stuff, with his family. And then the Lord spoke to him again. And he made the promise very concrete. Abram, you see that land around you? To your offspring, I will give this land. Not just, Abram, you will become a great nation, but Abram, all the land that you can see from here, one day will belong to you and yours. And Abram showed his thankfulness to God. It's a very brief statement here, but we should not overlook this in uh, verse 7. Abram showed his thankfulness to the Lord by building an altar and by offering sacrifices. As if to say, Lord, I know that you are here with me and I want to give you a gift of friendship and dedication. You give me so much, let me give you something back. No doubt Abram offered some of the flock just as Abel and Noah had done, just as his descendants, the Israelites, would do in the centuries to come. That altar that Abram built marked Moreh, where he lived, as a holy place. There's also a hint in verse 7 that Abram may have given the tree its name. It is called the Terebinth tree of Moreh in verse 6. And in verse 7 uh, it says, Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared for him or to him. The word for appearance in Hebrew sounds a lot like Moreh. So maybe the name Moreh was even given by Abram as a memorial to the Lord who appeared to him. In his sacrifices, Abraham showed that his obedience to the Lord was not cold. He did not just do what the Lord told him and that was it. No, it was a living relationship. Abraham treasured his covenant friendship with the Lord and he lived out that relationship by showing respect and appreciation to the God who had appeared to him so wonderfully. He brought a sacrifice from the heart. And that, of course, is the meaning of any true worship. So you are here, giving some of your time to the Lord, singing your songs to the Lord. Is this also from your heart? And is that the center of your worship too? That you show respect and appreciation to the Lord who has called you into a relationship with Him? We respond with thankfulness and with love to the God who has called us to live for him, who has made and kept his promises, and who blesses us in so many ways. That is why we are here. And that's the only good reason to come here. So Abraham was in Shechem, in the middle of the promised land. Was that the end point? Did Abram stay there at the tree of Morah, settling down 
in a life of work and worship at that altar he built? Did Abraham raise his family there and see the promise fulfilled and then see his descendants as a great nation taking possession of the land? No, he didn't. First of all, Abraham did not stay at Shechem. He kept moving. He kept traveling south from Shechem through the hill country of Canaan and the green hills near Bethel and then into the desert that is described in the last few verses of our text. Verse 8, he moved to Bethel. Verse 9, he journeyed going on still towards the south or um, the word for south is the word Negev. That is also the name of the desert in the south of the promised land. Abraham had been in a nice part of the promised land and lived there for a while. And God told him, no, keep going. Just keep going south until the land is not so nice anymore. Now we are back in the desert. Now what? During his life, Abraham kept moving around. He was a nomad and a foreigner in the land. A few times he even left Canaan and resided in other countries. Um, the end of chapter 12 tells us about a famine that drove Abram all the way to Egypt, for instance. In spite of the great promise of the Lord, Abram never personally settled in the land promised to him. He never owned more than a single field which he used as a cemetery for himself and his wife. And a field that he also had bought for way too much money, by the way. That's all Abraham had to show for it at the end of his life. Abraham was a believer who always needed his faith. Because during his earthly life, he never saw the fulfillment of the promise in full. He experienced God's blessing, but not the big promises fulfilled. And that was not easy for him. Abraham did not even know how the Lord could possibly fulfill that promise. He and his wife were way too old to have children. And it's a brief statement, but important in chapter 11, verse 30. Sarai was barren. She did not have a child. She could never have children. And now she was also too old. And so in the next chapters, if you read on in Genesis, you will see different ways in which Abraham tries his best to help God fulfill his promise. Maybe I can get a family in this way, maybe in that way. As far as we can tell, God's appearances to Abraham were also quite rare. Sometimes there were years between appearances of the Lord to Abraham. And all that time, he had to live out of his faith, remembering what the Lord had said and trusting that the Lord was there and that even if it seemed impossible, he would do what he said. And in that sense, Abraham is a shining example for us. In his relationship with the Lord, Abraham showed patience. And he showed what we call perseverance or endurance in faith. He trusted in God even though it took an awfully long time. He trusted even though it seemed he was getting nowhere. Our faith in the Lord requires that same attitude. And this is something um, that, that we all have to learn. And, and we often struggle with it. 
We know about the Lord. We know he says he will make things right. But that may not be your experience today. And you may be in a situation where there seems to be no way out. And there seems to be no end to it. And there are people who suffer for decades until the end of their earthly life. And they still wonder then, when will I see the Lord fulfill his promise of blessing to me? Our faith in the Lord requires what Abraham had to learn as well. To patiently and tenaciously hold on to the promises of God even when he makes us wait. Even when it often seems like nothing is happening. The Lord has called us to be his blessed friends. But he is the Lord and he is so much different, so so much greater than us. And we don't always understand him. Life can be painful and disappointing. But in spite of all that, we can trust and we must trust. And we have to learn to hold on to the trust that he is our God and that we are his people. And that therefore we will forever be blessed. Amen.